Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by The Bridge Initiative and FI360 Project. My name is Alex, and I'd like to welcome my colleague for today's podcast, Alicia. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for another This Month in Women's History podcast episode. It's my pleasure. <laughs> we are in December, and today we're talking about Hattie Wyatt Caraway. I'm a little embarrassed. I had no idea who she was. Well, I think that's a... I feel like I say that every episode. I know, but, you know, you and I focus, we we have tried, you know, a lot this year to not only talk about, you know, the names that we know, the names that are in our history books, but also to try to recover a few women um, who didn't get the recognition that they should get in the history books. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so Hattie. So we're talking about Hattie. Because she was the first woman elected to serve a full term as a United States senator. Mm-hmm. She opened doors to so many women after her. And she gave women a voice they hadn't had before. Very true. Um, in terms of, you know, why we're talking about her in December. Yes. Um, I believe it was when she passed away. Yeah. Um, I think it was in uh, the, the 21st of December. Um, 1950. Okay. Um, so let's, let's talk about her life. Yeah. And not her death. Yeah, not her death. <laughs> Hattie, uh, was born on February 1st, 1878 in Bakerville, Tennessee. Um, she graduated from Dixon Normal College and worked for several years as a teacher, as one did back then, mm-hmm. um, before she married her high school sweetheart, Thaddeus Horatius Caraway, in 1902. We're naming one of the kids that. I mean, don't tell me that. I mean, I'm not. (laughs) I am not your partner. (laughs) So after uh, Thaddeus Horatius and Hattie married, they had three sons, Paul, Forrest, and Robert, and then settled in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So two of them, Paul and Forrest, went on to become generals in the U.S. Army later in life. Yeah, they did. Which is interesting. Uh, Life of public service. It runs in the blood. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. Go ahead. So Thaddeus established a legal practice while Hattie was caring for their children. Uh, she tended the household and kitchen garden and helped to oversee the family cotton farm. So she was sort of like doing the home management when he was mm-hmm. doing the business management. Um, eventually, they established a second home outside Jonesboro in Riverdale, Riverdale Park, Maryland. They called it Riversdale because, you know, back in the day they named their homes. What? I was thinking about this. Um that is true. They did name their homes back in the day. Uh, what would you name your home? I hate my house. So, like, no. I don't want to say the mistake because it's, it's not a mistake, but, like, I hate the location of it and it's not big enough now, so. Now that you have a million children. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, like, I don't know what I would call mine. The corner? When I buy a new home, <laughs> I will let you know what I'm naming it. Okay. And we'll All get right. a plaque. That sounds great. Um, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll buy you that plaque. Oh, okay. For your home. Only if you buy me a plaque for my home. Okay. All right. right. Tradesies. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, he decided to move away from his legal practice and try his hand at politics. And he ended up getting elected to the House of Representatives in 1912, where he served until 1921 when he was elected to the Senate. And, uh, so during this time, as any good wife does, Mm -hmm. Hattie took an interest in her husband's career. Um, but you know, she tended to avoid the 
um, the capital. They were they're you know restationed in um, DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she didn't really like the the social and political life, um, including the the campaign for women's suffrage. So, I have thoughts on this. Yeah, I I do as well. <sighs> I think that at the time, suffragettes were portrayed in a horrific light, like they were. I've seen the cartoons and the the drawings and some of the speeches that were given about suffragettes. So I can understand wanting to say sort of neutral. um, Especially. Because you're not the one in public service. Your husband is. Right. Um, I also think that that's not actually how she felt because she was very good at understanding what people would most accept and what they needed to see Mm -hmm. and what they would support. And so I think that she knew if she kind of towed the line of not being involved, then should her ambition come out later, then it would be more palatable. Well, yeah. Um, I have, I have some other thoughts, but you know, one of the things that Patty said regarding women's suffrage was that quote, after equal suffrage, I just added voting to cooking and sewing and other household duties. Um, but I found another source that basically held the opinion that she said that years later when she was, um, you know, trying to cultivate votes um, by appealing to voters' sympathy for her plight as a, quote, poor little widow um, and tried to downplay her role as a political wife. Right. Uh, so sort of like positioning it in a way. Yeah, I mean, like it, I mean, in politics, it's all it's all about p- positioning. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not entirely really sure about it. Um, there's also, you know, the the debate about women's suffrage versus the labor unions, mm-hmm. and you know, could that have impacted High's decision to stay away from the movement because it could have potentially impacted her husband's career. Right. I think she just had a lot of reasons to not have an opinion on it. Um, yeah, I mean, especially because she actually ended up being rather ambitious about yes. herself and her yeah. career. And obviously she wanted to vote because she became a senator and wanted to vote in the Senate. So, I mean, obviously. Um, anyway, she she was so influential in her husband's first election that it was actually reported that his win was due largely to her. You know, she worked in his campaign headquarters and spoke on his behalf. She was his closest political confidant. She knew all of his positions on all the important issues, specifically the ones affecting Arkansas and held his profound respect as an advisor. So Mm -hmm. they were very much a team in this. Yeah. They were, um, you know, sort of a little bit like, uh, if we were con- to compare them, kind of like uh, Eleanor Roosevelt and FDR. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that way. A little bit in that mm-hmm. way. Um, but Thaddeus, um, he died of a blood clot in his heart while he was in office in November, on November 6th of 1931. Right. So in those days, there was a precedent set for, you know, if a man passed away in office, the widow would take their place. And the Arkansas governor, Harvey Parnell, appointed Hattie to her husband's vacant Senate seat. She actually tried to give the seat away. Um, You know, she was trying to give 
Harvey Parnell is safe out and saying like, you know, I really don't want to do this. Somebody else can do it. You know, I'm grieving right now. Um, but she ended up taking the seat. So she was sworn in on December 9th, 1931 and took her That's seat. That's like a month later. Senate. Yeah. So like for a month, they hemmed and hawed mm-hmm. about who's going to take this seat. And she ultimately was the one that did. Well, but then, okay. So given her husband's death, uh, remember he died in November. She was sworn in in December. Um, there was a special election that was held in January. Right. So she was there for a month and then special election. And, um, you know, but, well, your, your chair is so squeaky today. I'm sorry, I moved. <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, so behind the, this, this facade that she had um, of the dutiful wit- widow, rather, um, there was this woman behind the scenes that had every intention of not surrendering her seat to whatever chosen male successor came for it. Yes. So she won that special election in January of 1932, and she was the first woman elected to the Senate. She had the backing of the Democratic Party in that special election. Mm-hmm. She actually crushed the competition. Mm-hmm. There were there were two independent candidates. Um, she had 92% of the vote. Right. So she also, that election also forged the creation of the Arkansas Women's Democratic Club, which threw its support behind her and sought to get out the vote and raise money for her. Mm-hmm. Women helping women. Well, so, I love that. Love women helping women. So almost immediately after the special election, she faced the daunting prospect of a re-election campaign in the fall of 1932, but this time without the support of the Arkansas political establishment and the Democratic Party. Because they didn't want her... Just to continue being a senator, they just wanted her to hold that place until they could find a suitable dude to mm-hmm. take the spot. Anyway, uh, I have lots of thought of, lots about that, but we let's both not, do. Let's, let's not just go not there. get into it. Um, um, the deadline was passing for the August 10th Democratic primary, and she filed on the last day of you know, on the deadline, May 10th. Yes, May 10th. She shocked Arkansans and her six six male contenders by announcing her candidacy. Yeah, she explained to reporters at the time. Um, she said, quote, the time has passed when a woman should be placed in a position and kept there only while someone else is being groomed for the job. Mm. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, she confided in her journal that she planned to test, uh, quote, my own theory of a woman running for office. Well, girl, it was a good theory. Yes. Her re-election was definitely an uphill battle, though. You know, she didn't have the establishment, and she was up against a field of contenders, including a popular former governor and a former U.S. senator. But she was... She had an ace in the hole. She was not taking that line down. No. She had an ally in Louisiana senator and political boss Huey Long, with whom her husband Thaddeus had often allied and whose legislative proposals Hattie supported. So it was kind of like a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like, if I'm not in the seat, I'm not going to be supporting your stuff anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting, though, that Huey Long, at the time, he had presidential ambitions, and he wanted to prove his popularity outside of his home state. Um, So he 
he was trying to prove this by campaigning in the state of his chief rival, which was Hattie's Arkansas colleague, Senate Minority Leader Joseph T. Robinson. So it's sort of like he's using her as a pawn for his own schemes, but who cares? He's helping her. Yeah, I mean... Like, just let him do it. At this point. Yeah. (laughs) During the campaign, Hattie and Huey logged more than 2,000 miles. I like that. Hattie and Huey? Hattie and Huey. It's like a new show. Yeah. Um, They made 39 joint speeches. Huey was quoted in a speech saying... And I'm not going to do a voice because I don't know how to do this. All right. But <laughs> here's the quote. We're out here to pull a lot of pot belly politicians off a little woman's neck. She voted with you people and your interests in spite of all the pressure Wall Street could bring to bear. This brave little woman senator stood by you. I can't imagine anybody saying that today. No, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous now. But in the time it made sense. Uh, yeah, I, I just. <laughs> I'm just sitting here while you're saying that, like, thinking it's so, (laughs) no, so condescending, but it's not intended to be. But that's how he portrayed her. Like, Huey, uh, he he effectively portrayed Hattie as as a champion of poor white farmers and workers and as a senator whom the bankers were basically unable to control. Like, she was just this force. Yeah. Um. So in the seven-way primary, she won 44.7% of the vote, carrying 61 of the state's 75 counties. Far less surprising was her landslide victory in the general election that November. In um, the one-party Democratic system, she outpolled her hapless Republican rival by a nearly nine-to-one margin. That's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 1933... So this was 19... Senator. Late, late. Senator Hattie Carraway. Yes. Um, Senator Hattie Wyatt Carraway. She was... Let's call her Trailblazer. Trailblazer Hattie? We can come up with something better. We'll come up with a better hashtag later. Uh, anyway, Hattie was named chair of the Enrolled Bills Committee, the first woman to ever chair a Senate committee, and she remained there until she left Congress in 1945. She actually became the first woman to preside over the Senate as well first senior woman senator um when joe robinson died in 1937 and the first woman to run a senate hearing she she was a lot of first she was mm-hmm. a lot of female first to the senate mm-hmm. which is very cool she also received assignments for um the commerce committee and the committee on agriculture and forestry which if you don't know much about arkansas the committee on agriculture yeah. and forestry is where she needs to be I mean, yeah i mean it was <laughs> i mean she was mostly attentive to um, the the committee on agriculture and forestry because that's you know that's pretty much what Arkansas is right poor farmers and workers that she had the big bank stepping on her neck uh, this yeah little old lady yeah fought I mean, for she, you guys uh, she had the the largely rural and agricultural constituency I'm being sarcastic there. yeah I know don't actually I, know. Think that. I was just letting it yeah there you go anyway my favorite thing about her uh, is she was known as Silent Hattie because she spoke on the floor just 15 times in her career. But she nonetheless had a facile wit. She once explained her tendency to avoid speeches as, and I quote, I haven't the heart to take a minute away from the men. Poor dears love it so. You love that quote. <laughs> uh, well, I remember I remember reading it to you the first time, and you were just like, I, I love that. <laughs> I mean, she's not wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's not like that in the Senate today. Like, hopefully it's... I don't uh, think so. A lot. I mean, there's a lot more women in the Senate today, so I'm hoping that it's a lot 
more even. But anyway, throughout her her 14 years, did you know that she served 14 years? 14 years in the Senate. um, She was a strong supporter of President FDR and his New Deal reforms, most especially the ones featuring farm relief and flood control. And again, Arkansas. Right. Um, I I like this quote that she had. Um, She said of FDR, he fumbles, but he fumbles forward. Yeah, I kind of true. I think she definitely was an ally to her constituents. You know, she definitely got onto the committees that she needed to be on. She, you know, was a big supporter of um, the New Deal because it helped her constituents. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So she was doing her job. Good job. She she was, however, she was a strict prohibitionist. She um, criticized lobbyists and, but I mean, but also she was a sympathetic friend to veterans groups. I agree with two of those three things. Okay. <laughs> um, she also harbored very deep reservations about American intervention in World War II, but ultimately she decided to back FDR's declaration of war after the attack on Pearl Harbor in, on December 7th, 1941. Well, can you imagine anyone... Especially given the rousing speech that he made. Yeah, everyone's going to say yes to that. Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean... I remember watching that for, like, history class, uh-huh. the, the speech that he made, and just being so moved afterwards. Yeah. So like I, you could run through a wall? Yeah, pretty much. Like the yeah. freaking Kool-Aid man. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah! <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what I felt like afterwards. Or, like, Wonder Woman, you know, like, yeah. blocking those bullets with her, her uh, braces. Yeah, her gauntlets. Um yeah. But anyway, let's, let's go back to Hattie. Back to Hattie. I would talk about Wonder Woman with you for days. Oh, I love Wonder Woman. I Same. Side. Uh, we're recording this right before Halloween. And when I dropped my son off for daycare the last two days, uh, the same girl had been wearing her Wonder Woman costume every day <laughs> since her mother purchased it and refused to come to school in anything else. And I was like, I feel that girl. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let her wear it until it falls yeah. apart. <laughs> wear it all the time. Uh, I hope she wears it all the time. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about Hattie's legacy. She served for 14 years in the U.S. Senate. She established a number of firsts, including her 1932 feat of winning the election to the upper chamber of Congress in her own right. She's drawing principally from the power of the widow's mandate and the personal relationship she cultivated with a wide cross-section of her constituency, Silent Hattie was a faithful, if stayed, supporter of New Deal reforms, which aided her largely agricultural state. When she re- um, retired for her, her post-congressional uh, years, she mm-hmm. was still a part of, of the capital city. Um, FDR actually nominated her in early 1945 as a member of the Federal Employees Compensation Commission, where she served for a year before... Um, then president Harry S. Truman elevated her to the commission's appeals board mm-hmm. where she remained until her death on December 21st, 1950, um, in, in Falls Church, Virginia. Right. Um, her defiance of the Arkansas establishment in insisting that she was more than a temporary stand-in for her husband enabled her to set a valuable precedent for women everywhere. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about how many women there are today in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. And think about... Or in Congress. Yeah. We have a huge number of women in Congress right now. And it's not it's not 
but it's much more than it was. And, and, and not only that, not only, you know, a gender gap um, and, and, and gender equality, but the minorities that were, that have been elected, especially mm-hmm. since, you know, 2018. Yeah. There have been so many of them. And, and I don't think that we necessarily would have, have been here, you know, where, where we are without Hattie, without her pushing for right. women not she to be a standing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that she did a lot for um, pushing the door open, making sure that it didn't close behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, all, although she always remained at the margins of power, she was diligent and paid capable attention to her Senate responsibilities, which earned her the respect of her colleagues encouraged advocates of wider public roles of women and demonstrated that political political skills were not exclusive property of men. Yes. That's a better way of putting what we just said. Absolutely. Which is essentially like as being a competent Senator, she was advocating for more women in government and she was advocating for um, public roles for women in general, but she proved that women could do it. I liked what you said before when um, when you were talking about uh, women not being a stand-in mm-hmm. for men um, until they found somebody who was better. Yeah. Um, I think that's... I think we can thank Hattie for that. But one of the things before we, you know, do our toast to Hattie um, that I really thought I liked that, um, you know, I love stamps. Mm-hmm. Um, the, in February of 2001, the U S postal service issued a 76 cent distinguished Americans series, um, postal stamp postage stamp rather in her honor. That's, That's awesome. Cool. I wonder it if is. I could still get one of those. I don't know. I mean, maybe we could like find it on like eBay. Years ago. Yeah. We could find it on eBay or something. I we'll have to look. Let's look. Yeah. Anyway. Um, let's toast to Hattie and her impact, the doors that she opened, mm-hmm. um, and her public service, absolutely, um, and her absolute refusal to let herself be a stand-in for a quote-unquote more capable, yes, yes, yes suitable male. male replacement. Yes. Um, so to Hattie, to Hattie. Thank you for spending your time with us. Again, this is a little louder now by the Bridge <laughs> Initiative. Thank you, Alex, for this great conversation. Thank you, listeners, for taking some time with me today to talk about the amazing Hattie Wyatt Carolyn. Stay tuned for more podcasts featuring great women from financial services talking about a variety of topics. If you'd like to catch up on what we've been doing, or if you have questions, topic ideas, or if you just want to get involved, you can visit fi360bridge.com to check out previous podcasts, webinars, and blog posts. You can email us at bridge at fi360.com and connect with us on Twitter or Insta at fi360bridge. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now. now.